Good morning, Centerway Church. My name is Meredith, and I am so thankful for another opportunity to gather online together. Whether you're on the live platform right now or you end up watching or listening to this message later, we're really glad that you're choosing to be with us today. We also want to say a special hello to all those gathering and watch parties. Hi to all of you out there. Um, also, we know that there are many familiar faces joining us, and there's a lot of uh, first-time faces joining us each and every week, which is really exciting. Welcome to you. Um, but for that reason, we want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So we say this every week. We're going to continue to say it because it's always true. If you or someone you know needs assistance or prayer, we would love to help any way we can. Please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Here's a really quick list of things to note for today. We have resources available for you and for everyone in your family. There are Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, wallpapers that will help remind you of the weekly application question, and there's a message just for our kids. If you don't know this, our Centerway kids learn from the same text that we do, but with kid-friendly content. So if you have kids in your home, it's an incredible way to discuss the Bible and keep growing as a family in this season. If you're watching live, there are tabs to share your info. You can give, you can take next steps, you can find previous messages, and you can even share this message with your friends. Uh, if you're watching or listening to this later, you can do all those things through our website. Here's one last thing to note. Uh, if you're looking to gather for a watch party or you want to host a watch party and just need help connecting with other people, email us at that same email address, connect at centerwaychurch.com, and we'll be happy to help you there too. We want to ask, would you just please be praying uh, as we continue to secure places to gather in person? It's not easy to be a mobile church in this season, as you can imagine. We, we love you, we miss you, we can't wait to be together, uh, in person together, but also please don't be discouraged in this season. You can continue to engage, you can keep growing spiritually. We're still the church, we can still be on mission, and this season is purposeful, and it's one that God is redeeming for his glory, amen? So here's what to expect to today for today. In just a moment, Jeff will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible, and then you'll hear some ways to respond in worship. Immediately after the message, you can head over to Instagram Live or Facebook Live as a way to respond in worship through song. Here's Jeff with the text for today. Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Marsilio, and I'm reading the scripture today. And today it's 1 John 3, 11 through 15. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was afraid of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Good morning and welcome. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors of Centerway Church, and uh, we're excited that you're able to join us this morning, either live or uh, afterwards. We're beginning a new series this morning, and uh, the series is entitled For the Love, For the Love. And this week's message in particular is entitled uh, Love One Another. So uh, for the love, love one another. 
And uh, we're continuing uh, through the book of First John, um, an epistle, a letter written to a group of related churches. And in particular, this series focuses on the end of that letter, beginning in chapter 3, verse 11, then heading on right through till the end of First John. And this morning's text in particular is verses 11 through 15 of chapter 3, which you just heard read. And uh, so we're excited to continue through that journey and, and wrap it up here through this series. Um, when I was a kid, both of my parents uh, worked uh, for a time. Um, later on, uh, as I got a little bit older, my mom decided to be a, a stay-at-home mom so that we could kind of be uh, put on the bus by her, and, and she was home when we got home. Uh, but for a season there, we had babysitters that we would uh, we would go over to babysitters' homes, and it was never kind of like this consistent thing. It seemed like there was like a different family that was kind of watching us or different people at different seasons. And so I tell you that because I don't actually remember the name of this kid. I just know that the babysitter that we were being watched by had a son, and he was uh, one of those kids that had everything. You know what I mean? Like like literally every toy you can imagine, he just, he had it. And it was unbelievable. Uh, at the time, you know, his, his bedroom looked like a Toys R Us and now Toys R Us are non-existent. So that's <laughs> inconsequential. But in either case, he had everything. And so I, I remember playing over at their home and we went there a couple of times. And uh, I remember one time in particular, uh, he was playing with a toy uh, that I was just kind of enamored by and it broke. He broke it. And I remember at the time being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you broke it. And in the back of my mind, kind of like being happy that it broke, not really understanding why I was happy, except for just being like, good, dude, whatever. You're probably going to have a new one anyway. And um, when I got into the car and my mom picked us up, um, I started to recount how he had broken this toy and I was laughing. And uh, my mom said, Claude, what, like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, what? He has everything. Like, who cares? It broke. It's funny. And, uh, and she looked at me and she said, why are you so jealous of him? And I remember kind of being like taken back by the question, like, what do you mean? I just, I think it's funny that, that his stuff broke. And at the time we had a conversation about jealousy and a conversation about what it's like to, to want something that other people have essentially covetness and all these different, um, kind of teaching moments in my life. But what I found interesting as an adult later on reflecting back on it is that my mother had equated my lack of empathy with, uh, evidence of jealousy I had a, an incapacity, I was incapacitated. I was incapable of, of extending some form of empathy. I almost found joy in something that his, uh, of his being broken. And she connected the dots and said, that, that is an indicator that you're in some way jealous. And uh, so the question I want us to ask as we kind of jump into this new series is this, why does jealousy seem to come out of nowhere? Why does jealousy seem to come out of nowhere? We're almost surprised by it at times. Now, bear with me as I kind of explain. I want to submit to you the idea that jealousy seems to come out of nowhere because we're unwilling to self-examine. We're unwilling to self-examine. Now, like I said, bear with me because I can almost hear some of the arguments in your mind kind of uh, coming out against this conclusion. And I know that there are some of us that make a practice of being self-aware. You really intend to be self-aware. I also know that there are some of us that are critical of themselves, almost overly critical of themselves. And so you might have kind of an affront to the idea that, that we're not very self-aware or self-examining. But I'm not talking about 
those types of things. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about something much deeper. I'm talking about something that all of us as humans experience and rationalize. Something that no human is exempt from. In the recesses of our heart, in the recesses and the depths of our heart, regardless of how much we self-examine or how critical we are of ourselves, we compare. We compare ourselves for validation, for worth, for lovability. The list might go on as to why it is that we compare, but the fact is we compare. And you see the reasons um, that we compare, although they differ, the fact remains that we compare and it's undeniable. We don't like it. And most of us would kind of argue like, I don't care what other people are doing, or I don't care about their car or their stuff or their shoes or whatever you find yourself kind of wrapped in. But to those of you that might say that, I want you to broaden your perspective. I want you to broaden your perspective and be a little bit more self-aware. It's possible that you can't think of maybe a person or a specific thing that you want or, or something that you're comparing yourself to. But I, I want you to think for a second on a broader perspective of societal norms like this. Oh man, you know, I'm getting ready to, to graduate high school. I should be thinking about what I want to do with my life. I should know where I want to go to college now. I'm 20. I should whatever by now. I'm 30. I mean, my gosh, by 30, I thought by now I would whatever. Oh gosh, at 40, I thought at 50, I, I knew for sure that you can do it at any age, at any phase of your life. There's, there's a societal expectation. Like by now you should have whatever based on my timeline or my expectation in comparison to others. Now, you don't want to think that you're comparing to others, but we do. At the recesses of our heart and mind, we compare for different reasons at different levels, but we all compare. When we do, we produce the fruit of comparison, which is jealousy. It's jealousy. Comparison gives birth to jealousy in our heart. And at times, it seems to come from nowhere. Because honestly, we didn't realize that we were comparing. Like it didn't even occur to us. We were just thinking like, well, I just want that. Or I just think by now I should have that. Well, why do you want that? Why do you think by now? We compare. And here's the irony of comparison. It's that as a, as a human fallen condition, nothing, like none of us are exempt from this. None of us can escape this reality, which means the person, persons, or people that we're comparing ourselves to are comparing themselves to someone else. Like, there's no, like, perfect person. Like, every person that has what it is that we think we should have or everything that society is telling us, like, they're wanting and, and comparing themselves to someone else, to something else. Oh, man, I just, I just want a house. Well, the people that have the house... They want a bigger house. Oh, I just want a pool. Well, the people that have a pool, like they want a bigger pool or a salt pool or, or an ocean or they want to be on an island or the list goes on. You understand my point. We all compare and everybody that we compare ourselves to is comparing themselves to someone else. Social media highlights this. It just, it puts a spotlight right on our fallen condition, on our broken nature. And it just 
provides this platform for people to try to display and earn their self-worth by being like, look what I have, my perfect life, right? And everyone's looking at it like, whatever, that's not even real. And my favorite is, is when we post something or someone posts something that like almost seems like they're being authentic, but everybody realizes it's not authentic. I'll give you an example. I had uh, some work done on our uh, van recently. And so when I went to, to pick it up, of course, I had to strap on my mask and all that stuff as I went in. And, and I went in and there's this woman there with her family and there's these exes. So it's like a family's here and then another family is, uh, you know, six plus feet away. And she's got her phone out and she's saying, look at this, look at this. Look, and she's showing a video of someone, and I can't really see, it's moving you know, out of the peripheral here. I can kind of see that it's a video. And as she's showing it, I'm walking to the counter and I get stopped because I have to wait for the person. So I'm kind of privy to their conversation, whether I want to be or not. And uh, she goes, oh, look, oh, I'm not even wearing any makeup. Well, guess what? You still look perfect. I'm so sick of this. I can't stand her. And like this family is looking at this video and they're just, berating the lack of authenticity as this person is is trying to, I don't know, tell some type of story. I didn't watch or pay attention. The point is this, even when we try to be like, hey, here's my life, it's sort of messy, everyone is kind of looking in saying, yeah, right, you're still trying to display your perfect self or the best image you can. We just exacerbate the reality that we have this false front we want to communicate to the world. We as humans are in this cycle of comparison. And at times, we're surprised by our jealousy, which leads ultimately to envy, anger, and discontentedness with what we have. If, if left unchecked, we start to despise those that we're called to love. Like here's this woman with her family and her kids, and she's obviously looking at someone that they know, that they care about, a friend, at least a Facebook friend, and she's talking about how much she hates her, how much she can't stand her, and, and why? Because she's, she's frustrated with what it is that this woman is displaying as the state of her life, and she's comparing herself. She's left angry and hating, whether she really is hating this woman or not. There's something unsettled in her life. It's not that foreign for any of us. In fact, John addresses the issue in today's text, beginning at verse 11. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That we should love one another. Specifically, John is speaking to Christians. Those that profess Christ should love one another. And he says right up front, it's not anything new. You know this already. He goes on in verse 12, says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Cain caught up in the comparison game. John uses a negative example here. Sometimes the most helpful way to understand something is uh, to be told what not to do. <laughs> we don't always like what, you know, being told what to do. But when you're like, listen, don't be like Cain, all of a sudden it gets our attention. And so basically John is saying for the love, don't be like Cain. <laughs> don't be like Cain. Here's what not to do. If you're not familiar with the story, you can obviously check it out and read at your own pace in uh, Genesis chapter four. 
But basically, I'll summarize uh, the story real quick so we can be on the same page and understand the text this morning. Uh, Cain and Abel are brothers, and they're the sons of Adam and Eve. And uh, Cain gets angry because his offering wasn't accepted by God. So Cain and Abel are presenting offerings to the Lord, and Abel's is accepted as, uh, as a worthy offering, and Cain's is rejected. He gets super angry. He gets super angry. And in the midst of kind of this comparison game that Cain is playing with his brother Abel, like, what the heck? Why Why in the world are you accepting his offering, but you won't accept mine? And a lot of it had to do with the condition of Cain's heart, what was going on inside of him. And so jealousy rises up, which breeds anger and hatred. And get this, in the midst of Cain's anger and hatred towards his brother, God shuns him. No, he doesn't do that at all. In fact, God speaks to Cain. In the midst of his anger, in the height of his frustration and jealousy, God actually speaks to him. Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, pick up the story and say this, the Lord said to Cain, so we have God speaking right now, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's interesting. We see the character of God in the midst of our anger and frustration and jealousy that God doesn't actually turn his back, but he actually leans in and speaks to us, gives us clarity and perspective on the situation. The desire is contrary to you. In the following verses, we read that Cain confronts Abel and he's filled with jealousy and anger and he murders his brother. The first murder in human history, motivated by comparison and jealousy that gave birth to hatred. Cain wasn't capable of ruling over his desire to sin. Let me reread verse 7 there again. It says, God is saying, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So he's indicating, listen, there's nothing wrong with the offering you presented. The issue is the condition of your heart. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And get this, he almost personifies sin. He says, its desire is contrary to you. Sin's desire is contrary to you. It's interesting that we think often when we come into uh, moments of sinful acts or the temptation to sin, we think we're appeasing our flesh. We think we're actually getting what we want. And God is clarifying the desire of sin is to destroy you. It's contrary to you. And you must rule over it. You must rule over it. There's a lot to learn as we compare our lives and our perspectives to Cain. Because if we're honest, it resonates with us. We're more like Cain than we want to say we are. John has already clarified earlier on in the chapters of 1 John that we all sin. We all sin. All of humanity is sinners. We've discussed that all compare. We've talked about that already. And as a result of comparing, we're all filled with jealousy. 
This jealousy comes out of this comparison game and ultimately leads to envy and anger. And so here we are in the midst of the Cain journey. We're already sinful people comparing ourselves and getting angry and envious and frustrated. And verse 14 and 15 goes on. It says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, remains in death. Our fallen nature is sinners. We remain sinners. Goes on, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wow. <laughs> verse 15 is startling. Like, wait, if, if, I, if I hate my brother, if I'm, if I'm human, if I'm a, a sinner, and that, and that sinner compares, which we all do as a, as, as a condition of fallen humanity, and that ultimately that leads to jealousy and hatred that I am actually a murderer? Yeah. Yeah, that's what scripture says. To have hatred in your heart is to be absent of love. One more time, John is masterfully saying it is either or. It's not both and. You can't have a little bit of love for somebody and kind of some hate. No, you either love or you hate. So we're all murderers. Talks a lot. Jesus talks a lot about the condition of the heart throughout the, throughout the, um, the Gospels when he's speaking to the disciples. He talks about the fact that just our own motives lead us to the place of being guilty of the action. And so basically with this comparison of, of Cain and Abel saying, listen, you identify with Cain at your core, in your heart. When you begin to express anger and malice towards the condition of other people's lives, you are a murderer. So... Are we doomed? John actually gave the answer in verse 14. Did you miss it? Let, let's go back. Verse 14, prior to the verse 15 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. So what does that mean? Love for others is possible because of what we know. It's because of what we know. Listen, love for others flows out of God's love for us. Our capacity to love others is in direct correlation to our knowledge of God's love for us. Let me say that again. Let me say it a little more pointed just to you. Your capacity, mine and yours, your capacity to love others is in direct correlation to your knowledge of God's love for you, for the love, for the love. We love because we're loved. That's it. That's why. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life. 
And so when we identify with Cain, we have to realize that Jesus is the better and greater Abel that, that was murdered because of our sins, that because of the sins that we commit, it made and required Jesus's death necessary. We are guilty of the murder of the Son of God. And yet he laid down his life and had victory over death, victory over grave for us the whole time that we're sinning and we're actually bringing death and and, and destruction to our lives while we were still God's enemy. He's saying, listen, you don't have to live this way. That ultimately we could even say, we're Cain, but God is able. (laughs) It sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. Jesus is the greater and better able, willing to lay down his life so that we can be free from the game of comparison and so much more, and so much more. John is not saying, muster up love for others. (laughs) Man, I grew up in church and I remember the pressure of like, I've got to love him, but I can't stand him. Listen, love him. (laughs) But I don't want to say you're sorry, tell him you love him, but I don't, I, I love you, but not really. It's just mustering up these, these false words rolling off our tongue. Hmm, you know, I, I don't like him, but I love him. Because I have to, right? <laughs> yeah, we all have to, right? <laughs> but we don't. We don't. In fact, some of us even hate that person. We're jealous of them. We want to delete them off of our social media feed. <laughs> we're just so sick of their amazing life. <laughs> Because we're comparing. But that's not what John is saying and that's not what Jesus is saying. We don't muster up love for others in order to earn our eternal life. No, that is not what being a Christian is all about. He's saying when, not if, when we compare ourselves to others, the remedy is to remember how loved we are. Remember, remember the knowledge, remember the gospel, remember what you have been told. That's what he's saying. You know what you've been told and in doing so, it will reset our hearts and our minds. We will then be able to love the unlovable authentically because of the transformation in our hearts and mind because we at our core are so unlovable because we are so wicked and depraved at our core, and yet Jesus continually loves us and forgives us. And it's that knowledge of his loving grace and mercy towards us that allows us to award love to the unlovable. Listen, the outflow of love is evidence that we're children of God. It's evidence. So when you love others, it shows like, wow, That's Christ in him. That's Christ in her. So how about you? How about you? Think about it for a second this morning. When you compare, are you aware that you're loved? Are you aware that Jesus loved you and and that flows out of you towards other? Or are you filled with jealousy? Almost surprised by it that it bubbles up in you and you try to push it down, but you can't. 
You can't because you, you don't have the ability to stop being human. And so instead of pushing it down, allow it to come up and redeem the situation by acknowledging how loved you are by God. How about you? Are you envious? Are you angry? Are you so frustrated with what others seem to have or where they are in their life at their age or, or what it is that you should be doing, that you're, you're missing the whole point, that God has a specific plan for you, a journey that you're on, something that he is redeeming and a narrative that you get to be a part of, that you get to be a part of. Don't miss the joy of your life by being caught up in the comparison of where society says you should be or where they are or what they have. Instead, enjoy and be fulfilled with the love that God has given you and the journey that he has you on because it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. You don't have to live that way, missing out on the fullness of the life that God's intended for you. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And so this morning, I want to ask you this question as you consider what the application may be. The question is this, how will I display life-giving love this week? How will I display life-giving love this week? Now, I know that that sounds a lot like mustering up love, but if you understand and have paid attention this morning, you realize what it is that I mean by that. For some of you, the application means acknowledging that you're loved for the first time in your life and laying down your life allowing Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And for those of you that are at that crossroads, I just, I want to challenge you to consider praying a prayer in the quietness of wherever you find yourself, or maybe in the noisiness of wherever you find yourself, to just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And at my core, I'm jealous and I lean towards murderous thoughts and and envy and anger and frustration. And God, would you, would you forgive me the sin of my life? come and be the Lord and leader of my life. I can begin a relationship. And if you pray that prayer this morning or whenever it is you pray it, if you're listening later, I want to encourage you to just let us know, to reach out to Centerway. We'd love to, to begin the journey with you, to let you know what the next steps are. For others of you this morning that maybe have crossed that line of salvation, maybe the application for you is when you consider the idea of displaying life-giving love this week, it means getting to a place that you realize how loved you really are. And so maybe it means writing down the journey that you're on and, and, and writing a letter of gratitude to say, God, I'm so thankful for this and I'm thankful for this and I'm grateful for this and I'm grateful for that. It's amazing how our heart and minds begin to be opened up to the, to the provision and graciousness of God when we acknowledge what it is that he has done instead of what it is we think he should be doing. So maybe it looks like writing something down or, or praying, talking to God. See yourself as he sees you. Begin to understand the journey. And it will begin to, to bring out waves of life-giving love in practical ways. Maybe you need to rejoice with someone authentically. Maybe you've had a, a sense of envy towards your brother or your sister. And that has to to change in you. Maybe you begin to rise up and just see wicked things that start to come out of your heart. You're almost surprised by it. You're embarrassed about it. And so this morning, maybe your application means allowing the Lord 
to begin to wash over those areas and put spotlights where maybe you need to repent and say, okay, God, let me be an agent of change. Let me authentically rejoice with someone as they've received provision or whatever that might look like. For others of you, maybe you're in a place where that's not a hang-up for you. And so I want to challenge you if, if you're already in those rhythms personally to consider what it looks like to love others missionally, to love in a way that is life-giving to others. So if that means through some form of personal sacrifice of your time or maybe your treasure or whatever that might look like for you to say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recklessly love others like Jesus did. I'm going to have compassion on others withholding nothing. God, this is, this is all yours. And so I'm available for whatever you speak to me. And just have a tentative ear this week to what God might be asking you to do in a life-giving, loving way this week. Let's pray together as we consider these applications. Heavenly Father, we surrender who we are. We surrender our fallen nature and we come to grips with the reality that we compare. And we ask God that you would show us who we are as your children and that we would be set free from the implications and the trappings of sin but God, we would walk in the fullness of what you make available, that we would have a different heart, a different perspective, that you would renew our minds, God, and that we would um, be known for our love. As children of God, we would be known for our love of others. And so we lay it all down and we ask you to do a work that only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In just a, a moment, you're going to hear how we can respond further this week. So let's direct our attention to that. We'll see you next week. You're not going to want to mess the rest of the series. Hi, I'm Adam, here to share ways to respond to the word and worship. We encourage you to be intentional about displaying life-giving love this week, which is one way to worship. In addition, you can give, take next steps, and serve others. Singing is also a way to worship and a way to keep truth in front of you throughout the week. If you're with us on the live platform, we'll sing together in just a moment. If you're watching or listening later, you can listen to the songs from the set on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for our For the Love playlist. For those with us live, we'll see you on Instagram Live or Facebook Live in just a few minutes. We'll see you over there.